Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome back to another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Wagner. So excited for you guys to be with me today. Um, kind of a fun time for us in life, finishing up our basement remodel and just like seeing the and the fruit of your labor in some ways has been really gratifying and also incredibly emotionally challenging. It's it's weird to be like close but not done. And I think about how that applies to to who we all are in life. You know, we we kind of say this idea that we're never finished. We're never completed process, right? We're that's just not something we can attain. And I I'm up going through this thought process in my head with the basement, like, man, it's so close. I just want to be done with it so that I can move on. Right. And no matter what it is that we're doing, we can kind of get that way. We can get to this place where it's like, yeah, I'm done with that. I just want to move on. And what is true is that that last, those last finishing touches are really the separator between good and great and between better and best. And so, you know, the challenge for all of us is to continue to seek out what is our best every single day, regardless of where we're at in the process. And uh, I think the episode today really connects well to to connecting that that idea of finding our best as often as we can. And how do we do it? The guest today is David Levin, who is uh, the founder of Raise Your Inner Game Sports Academy. He wrote a book, Raise Your Inner Game. He, he just does a lot of cool stuff. And I, I've actually had the good fortune of you know, being able to look around in his programming. He gave me some access that's been really cool to play with. And, and one of the things that is, I think, really neat is they give you an opportunity to take a free assessment. It's on their website. I'll link it in the show notes. But it's this, it's this opportunity to check in. Where am I? You know, a couple questions that are going to direct you to different areas of performance in your life and how do you manage some of these emotional things and and it's the the free assessment is not some random one-off thing the types of questions you would see in a free quiz or whatever online this is the actual assessment they use when they onboard people into the program and so if you're interested at all when we get done with this conversation today go there check that out take the assessment if you have an athlete that you're interested in trying to connect some of this stuff to have them go and take the assessment and see where you can grow uh, from from David's teachings here. Uh, just a really cool conversation. A lot of a lot of overlap. A lot of connection to who we are and what we're about at Eyes Up Mindset. And so I, I was really grateful to have this conversation. You will get better today, David Levin. Here we go, David Levin. Welcome to the podcast, founder of Raise Your Inner Game Sports Academy, author of the book, Raise Your Inner Game. Obviously, we have uh, a foundational kind of crossover in the mental skill development, sports performance realm, and 
we just spent the last 10, 15 minutes talking about all the other crossovers that we also have. <laughs> what, a, what an amazing opportunity to connect with. Just what, the more I do this, the more I learn that it doesn't matter what you do or what stage of life you're at, what situation you're at. People are people. And if you ask questions to connect with them, yeah. opportunities are available and a relationship can form pretty easily. Again, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's 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 fun. It, you're in a small town in southwest Wisconsin, kind of the Minnesota Wisconsin border area and you know, obviously we're in Minnesota. You talked about your heart is is kind of founded in Montana, out graduate of Missoula High School. John, who everybody who's been listening to the podcast knows, is out in Bozeman. Um, you know, just a just a lot of overlap and and that's yeah. so so cool. I was interested in reading your bio. It talks about you started in music. How has music and your experience in being probably a pretty good musician, right? If you, if you attempted to chase this thing, you have some skill here. How has that skill development process informed what you do currently? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I did start out as a musician. I started my first band. I was in high school. I toured uh constantly for the first 10 years out of high school did not go to college i did i was at in college towns but yeah. not in college um then started my solo career after that like 88 or so um got four records out as a solo artist um it was really with my main identity for yeah. pretty much all of my adult life um i think the overlap that first comes to mind as you talk about it because again the work i do now is all very much you can tell from the title of the book, it's all about the inner game, right? Yeah. And my experience of that comes from uh, being creative. The actual sort of mechanics, one of the things, I think the unique thing about my approach to the mental game is that it's very much at a kind of a granular, here are the mechanics of how it works kind of level. And I really first came to uh, observe that and connect with that as a songwriter. And it was just this, and I wasn't thinking in these terms, I was just doing the work, but the experience is very much, um, of course, you're in, completely in your head, or at least in your inner space, let's say that. Um, and there's this sort of in-breath, out-breath rhythm to it. Here's what I mean by that. So you're, you're working on a song, and you're kind of stuck, and you go, okay, now I need some more ideas. And then so you get quiet, and you just listen, and things pop into your head. So that's the in-breath. You're just like, okay, 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 right? And then you click into the cognitive. Now you got to edit it. Okay, let's try that now. That's interesting. And you work with that and you hone it and you fit it in and it changes the other parts of the song you're working on. And then you kind of get stuck again and you go back and you harvest some more ideas. So this back and forth of engaging, and it really, it's just your subconscious mind where these ideas are percolating up from. But this intentional sort of back and forth dance, the intuitive and then the rational, um, I really think laid the foundation for me sort of figuring out a way to formulate uh, a way to uh, work with that intentionally that would apply beyond, you know, my little world of songwriting. That's so good. This intuitive, rational balance. I think so many 
you know, and I, I'm going to speak for athletes generally, this is not all athletes, right? But I think a lot of athletes want to come at it from either an entirely intuitive place, this, this tremendously like giftedness, my instincts, my understanding of the game is from a place that I can't really explain. It's just a lot of intuition, a lot of instinctual response, right? Or they want to come at it from a purely rational place where it's like, okay, this is how we score points. This is the skill that's needed. This is how I'm going to do it. But there is this balance that is absolutely essential to find your peak through kind of that restful, reflective, subconscious, drawn out thing. And from that rational I'm going to learn my game. I'm going to learn my craft. I'm going to hone it specifically. I think the thing, if I want to tie this to the mental performance world where we work is that a lot of people assume that it's just intuitive. There is very little like rational exploration of mental skill development. And you talked about you do it from a more mechanical place. Right. I'm so curious about how you do that because most people want to assume well, you either have it or you don't. It's intuitive. Right. Oh. It's instinctive. Yeah. Speak to those mechanics that you're talking about, because I think that would be a, a huge tool for, for some of our listeners here. I, I just got to tell you, it really, the, the more you dig into this idea, um, it's just everything. You touched on it earlier. You were just talking about, oh, I forget what the specific you were doing, but you were talking about uh, working as a coach and working on, uh, it'll come back to me, but the specifics as a coach, when you're working with somebody on their game, no matter what aspect of it is, you work on the mechanics, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's what, Oh, you were talking about working with the college yeah, at the college level. And you'd say, okay, work on this. And they go work on it and you work on that and they go work on it. You can observe them. You know what the mechanics of these particular tasks are. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's depersonalized. You can measure it. You can observe it. They can work on it, right? It's a beautiful thing. Um, we don't have that with the mental game. For sure. The mental game is just, like you say, it's sort of driven by that belief in the first place. I've got it or I don't. It should be intuitive. Um, but we just don't have that kind of language for the mechanics of the mental game. But so here they are. And this is the foundation of all of our work. And it's not, it's not a complicated thing. It's just we don't think of it in these terms. Like I mentioned before, because of my songwriting experience, I just sort of almost accidentally had this observed view of the mechanics of my game. I would be, I would need to listen. So I would just click over into listening mode and then it would be time to edit and I would click back into editing mode. And so the mechanics from an athlete's perspective are, let's just say you're, um, you're on the free throw line and, uh, you know, you're in the moment, you're getting ready to take the shot, and all of a sudden, something comes into your head. Some sort of thought, what are you doing? What's the coach going to think? Some sort of, it's maybe just an emotion, you know, this kind of this fear will come up. Um, yeah. It could be some sort of physical, you know, a little tick or something, right? Something comes in from one of those three realms, intellectual, emotional, or physical, and pulls you away from being focused and present in the moment. That is really the mechanics of it. It's it's almost it's almost so obvious. Well, that's part of the problem. I think that's why we walk past it. It's so sure. obvious. But when you slow it the feels intuitive, down right? and it look feels... at those moments, well, when you lay it out to somebody, when you show an athlete 
And you talk to them and say, okay, so here's an example. Now give me something from your life when you can just, there was a moment and all of a sudden you, a thought came up. What was it? They're going, oh, I totally get it. Here's what it was, you know? Yeah. So, so those are the mechanics. You slow it down. You observe that. The thoughts come up. Again, the feelings, the emotions, whatever it is, something comes up and pulls you off track. And once you, and there's one more sort of fundamental uh, framework for that. I, I encourage people to think of it like there literally is another person standing next to them, like they're on the free throw line. And that voice is actually somebody standing next to them. Well, what, what, what if this goes wrong? What happens if, what's the coach going to say if you screw this one up again? Why do you, what, what made you think you could do this in the first place? You know, all that stuff to really disembody it and really anchor um, this feeling that the, all these negative things that I'm hearing and feeling, they're not actually me in the sense. There, there's, a, there's another sort of person there. Because yeah. if you really took the time to challenge them on it, you actually don't agree with what they're saying, yeah. right? So just if you just look at that, you're like, well, if I disagree with that perspective, there's a different perspective going on in there. There's another person in there. So they spend as much time as we can just living with that observation. These thoughts are coming up out of the blue. I don't really agree with them. They're not serving me. And once they anchor that, now you can actually work on the mechanics as a coach or as self-coaching, which is, well, there's two ways to go. One, the thoughts come up and you actually engage in the debate with them. I don't agree with that. You're wrong about that. And you think something else. That's not actually the optimal performance play. It slows you down. The right? optimal I mean, performance takes play is just say, shut the hell up. Yeah. Just, just stop. Just not now. Could you get back to the focus then? You get to actually being focused and present. You know, you talked about that balance between intuition and, and logic as a competitor. I actually love that, but I see it in a slightly different way. Yeah. Um, peak performance as an athlete, really everybody, but especially as an athlete, is almost purely about one thing, which is in the moment being completely present yeah. and not in your head at all. So that sounds like that's intuition, but it's actually not. It's yeah. trained intuition. What you do is you practice and practice and practice and train enough that it becomes unconscious. Yeah. And then the trick is to get out of the way of what you know. Yeah. But when you just come in and think it should be intuitive to start with, you don't have the training. You don't have the knowledge. You, don't, you have to learn the game yeah. before you can be intuitive with it. Yeah. But in the moment, the ultimate thing is to be quiet and present in the moment. I use this story all the time with Michael Jordan famous for having intense focus and also for chewing those giant wads of gum on the, you see pictures of him on the sidelines. He's got this massive gum he's chewing. And somebody asked him, maybe, maybe you know the story. Somebody asked him one time, when you're on the sideline, you know, timeout, what are you thinking about? You know, at a big moment, is it the next play? Is it your opponent? Is it the score? What's in your mind? And his answer was, I'm thinking about chewing my gum, which means I'm not thinking about anything. Yeah. Right. I'm completely 100% present. Now he had that. And some people would say, well, he had it, I don't. But you can totally learn it. Once you show people this mechanics and let them live with that, and then you give them some specific tools and skills to engage with those things that are pulling them off track, you can learn to just swat that away. And say, yeah. Nope, not now. I'm present again. It's, it's really, it transforms everything. As a coach, you can talk with them about those things because you can break it down. You say, okay, so... I noticed it seemed like you, uh, you know, you choked up a little bit. 
in that moment again. Um, what, what thoughts were you hearing? What was going on for you internally, right? Yeah. And they can totally self-coach it because now they see it. And no longer do they have to think, I guess there's just something wrong with me. I guess you just don't have it. Now they're like, oh, I see what's going on now. And there, I can there's just, a hiccup here. There's a real thing that I can attach. A real meaning thing is to, happening. Right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I love that you talked about having this person on the side and then being able to disembody it. My wife and I were having a conversation the other night just about our children, right? And saying, I don't want them to have my voice in their head. And there are places where I do want that, right? So I'm going to, I want to be intentional about the language that I use with them so that when they hear that voice, it's about you're capable, um, you know, focus here in the moment and stay present. Don't, you know, don't worry about what someone else is doing necessarily. Like I, I want to have intentional language around that, but I don't want to give them all this stuff because if you disembody it, if you work backwards far enough, when you're yeah. standing at the free throw line, you can probably actually attach a name to the voice. You probably have a person that is stand like literally standing beside you because they've ingrained that voice in your head. It might be somebody impersonal. It might be somebody on social media. It might be some, you know, random talking head on ESPN. It might be your dad. It might be your coach. It might be a fifth grade coach, whatever it might be. They they've created this series of thoughts and now they are made manifest when pressure happens because they're they're subconscious and they become conscious at some point so i just i love this idea that you know like if i think about the the voices my self talk right it i can i can name names right they they yeah, gave me yeah. some of that language yeah. and a lot yeah. of it is positive and when i attribute that positive self talk i can say that was a coach that was a parent oh. that was this person and it was really mm -hmm. powerful Mm -hmm. And I want to, I want to take it outside of myself because that's my nature. It's like, no, somebody else contributed that for me, which I believe is true, but I don't do that in the negative situations because I want to, mm. as an athlete, we're really hard on ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we want a really important take... distinction. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, it's you're a really fine. important distinction. I think is helpful. And it is basically, there's a big difference between thinking and hearing thoughts. Sure. If you think back to my experience as a songwriter, right? When I'm looking for ideas, I'm hearing thoughts. And then when I click into an analysis mode, now I'm thinking. Yeah. Now it's me and my voice and my experience and my knowledge. But you, it's really helpful to be clear about those two things. For sure. And when you're hearing thoughts, they're coming from somewhere else. Yeah. I totally love your uh, comment about the, the, keeping it external. One more thing I wanted to add to that. One of the beauties of looking at it at a mechanics level is that it now becomes uh, sort of universal and easier to coach. Here's what I mean. In your moments, the voices you're hearing, the negative voices you're hearing, or I should say the negative uh, thoughts you're hearing, the actual thoughts are different from mine. Yeah. Right. Mine come from my own history, my own relationships, whatever my issues are, just my wiring. Yours are different from you for you. So, the normal approach to working with these kind of things, even in you know sports psychology, is sort of the therapy approach. We talk about your issues, we kind of uncover them, we you know we dig through them, all that stuff. I'm not saying it's not helpful, but if you step back to the mechanics level, what you're hearing doesn't matter. Yeah, your mechanics and my mechanics are identical. All that's different is what we're hearing. 
But if you're going to learn the skill of just swatting them away and shutting them down, we can both do the exact same work. Yeah. And every athlete does the exact same work. And every moment, again, is the exact same work. You'll have different voices at different times of the game. And separately outside of sports, different areas of your life, right? This yeah. isn't a sports-specific topic. But Absolutely. at a mechanical level, it doesn't matter what those things are or what we're actually hearing. It's just that we're hearing it and it's pulling us off track. You can be just as distracted in a key moment by a positive thought as a negative one. Yeah. If someone, I, if you get up there and you think I'm a genius, well, you're still thinking. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be thinking in those moments, right? As you were, as you were explaining this, this basketball analogy and like having somebody else and the thought that came to my mind, I remember a play when I was in high school, uh, a high school football game. And uh, girlfriend was in the audience or whatever. And I, and I remember very specifically after making a play looking for her, right? Like, just like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, the thought in my head is where was she? I hope she saw that. Right. Like, and then that's distracting, right? It's a positive thing. Like I want this person that I care about to care about the thing that I just did. And it yeah. distracts me from the task, from being present in the moment, which is where I find my best performance. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah. you know, I think we can all relate to that it, for other people. It might not be girlfriend or boyfriend. It might be mom or dad. It might be um, scout, right? There's somebody here watching me perform so that I can go to the next level, whatever it might be. And we then are like, I hope they saw that. That distracts me from being present in the moment. I, I just, I'm fascinated by that. I, I'm curious. You said something that I think is really can lead us to another question that I have. And I think is you've, you've mentioned, you know, I've listened to a couple of your, your podcasts and, and read some of your blogs and stuff. And, and one of the things you mentioned is like, why don't more people spend more time doing mental skill development? Because we're willing to admit how important it is and how much value it can create and how much of sport it is. And yet we contribute zero time to it. Do you think it has a little bit to do with what you just said about each each person that sports psych sort of impression of, hey, we have to get personal. We have to unpack what it is for you. And that's really hard to define. Whereas what your approach is, is let's move back to mechanical and we can do this broadly because you're right. In my experience, doing this thing, a lot of people aren't willing to commit the time necessary to grow the skills needed. And yet almost everyone says, we need to be better at this. It's so important. Yeah. I mean, uh, my experience is if you ask a coach, what percentage of your sport is mental? What, what percentage of success depends on mental performance? 80, 90, 95% is the yeah. common answer. And then you say, Okay, so given that, what percentage of your time do you spend training it? It's yeah. like, what, what do you mean? You know, so I think there's a few things to explain it. Um, one I hear a lot, uh, again, talking coaches, well, I wasn't taught to coach that way. Yeah. You know, I mean, like you, you started out this conversation by saying people just have the sense that it's intuitive. You got it or you don't. I think that's number, that's problem number one. Yeah. You got it or you don't. They've always believed that. They've been trained that from the past as they, you know, were taught how to coach. Um, it's just sort of the baseline assumption, even though, and especially lately, we have more and more evidence that's clearly not the case. I For mean, sure. if it was the case, 
why would we hear so much from elite athletes about the mental training they're doing? Why would the, the Seattle Seahawks, the first year, they'd never won the Super Bowl, they bring in Coach Carroll, they bring in Michael Gervais, they start doing intentional mental game specific work and they win the Super Bowl the first year. It yeah. obviously works, but there's such a pervasive history of, okay, maybe it does, but I don't know how to do it. I mean, you know, so that's one, just, just, I don't think it's possible in the first place. And Number beyond two, that, the, ev oh, the evidence, like in sport, in psychology, right? Carol Dweck's work on fixed versus growth mindset. Like it is possible to change it. We know yeah. that like she's yeah. just done tremendous amount of work has piles and mountains of evidence that say we can change the way you think like yeah, it works. We just don't do it because we don't well, know. That's the second piece. And yeah. you, you, that's the one that you uh, suggested was that, okay, maybe it does work. Maybe I've heard some of that, but it is a, a therapy model. It's the model that requires PhD sports psychologists and the budgets to support that. And a lot of time and resources that at the high school and college level, forget about it. And we can't yeah. even, just forget about it. Um, so those three things, it can't be done at all, or it requires experts and a ton of money, or it just takes time we don't have. I think those are the three main myths and barriers coaches and parents with their own kids have with trying to do this work. And um, uh, my message is that in a sense, all those things are true if you share the assumption that you have to have that sort of psychologist based background the approach to it if you take a um if you take this mechanics based approach none of them are true yeah. it doesn't take experts like that kind of experts it takes almost no time and you can change it uh more quickly than you would ever thought possible bigger different big, i mean i just worked with a kid recently a one-on-one -on -one coaching and the thing i love about this story 16 year old soccer player out east and he wasn't even looking any help you know a lot of times kids they know they're struggling most of the time the kids know their capacity and they know they're not living up to it and they know exactly why they're choking up it's confidence it's resilience it's focus you know it's pretty clear but this kid wasn't like that he was just like i'm just looking for an extra edge everything about him all the the hype on this kid was he's just great and i think that's totally true but he came into the program just looking for the edge and uh First of all, the kind of the pre-assessment did uncover some things that weren't apparent to people as far as him getting down on himself. He was really down on himself a lot. And he was carrying a large sort of emotional psychological load as an athlete. But we go through the training. And uh, I mean, like on that particular score, I think the before and after was like an 800% improvement. It was, And our whole training is like two weeks of actual course and then sort of four weeks of practice. And it was just remarkable the boost in his game to the extent that I said uh, after he'd gone to a tournament over a weekend and I said, I'm, I'm looking forward now to hearing now that you learned these skills we talked about, um, how helpful were they to you in the game when you started getting down on yourself again? And he thought about it for a second. He said, you know, it didn't really happen. <laughs> I didn't even start getting down on myself. Oh, He'd broken that cycle. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that was over, you know, a two week period. It was just remarkable. Yeah. I, so again, longtime listeners will, will know a little bit about this, but like I have a debt story that shaped a lot of where I am today in this thing where like overcoming the kind of this crippling sort of debt became the foundational baseline for my life. And when I reflected on that, 
I was already doing this in sports. I had all these skills developed in sports and then I applied them to this debt process. And now, right. And even very quickly after we changed a few of our behaviors, we changed a few of our habits, whatever it might be. It was not, I feel like I want to spend the money on this thing. Or I, like I, I feel irresponsible about money anymore. Like I just made the responsible choice and it never became this thing where I was frustrated with myself. Like I had Hmm. been for years and years and years, the change, right. has come from a book by uh, a blanket, but it's called the slight edge, right? It's called the slight edge. Hmm. And it's, uh, it's just this idea of little steps done consistently over time, make a huge difference. And it's the time window that is needed to make that huge difference is much smaller than we assume, right? We, just, I, um, there was a, a tweet from, I believe it was Justin Sua who works with the Tampa Bay Rays. He said, you know, we vastly overestimate what we can accomplish in a week and dramatically underestimate what we can accomplish in a year, right? Well, we want it to be done in a week. And so when it's not, we feel like we're a failure and it might take six weeks, not a year. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not the year timeframe that you're thinking about. There's so much that we can do in a very small period of time. And it completely transforms the way that we think. I, I just am curious, do you think those things like overcoming those barriers that we were talking about, is it really just about zooming out and thinking, how can I do this more mechanically? Or what have you found beyond the work that you do with these athletes to say, if we just did this, we might overcome that stigma. We might implement more consistently because I think that's what coaches are looking for. Like, how do we, how do we do this more often without that dramatic input of time and resource? I got to say, I mean, it sounds a little self-serving, but once someone clicks into, again, this sort of mechanic based understanding of what's going on in their mental game. It is almost like magic. The, yeah. the thing that we kind of forget as coaches and leaders is that very quickly, whoever we're working with, they know what needs to be done. You've told them once, they're smart, they remember. Maybe you told them a couple, three times. Now they totally know. Knowledge is not the issue. The issue is these little moments when we're on a particular track, here's what I know I need to do. Oh, something comes up. I did something else instead. That's what the mental game comes down to. I call them the inner game moments. And that is the absolute story about the difference in where we could be and where we are. The financial, if you go back and look through your debt story, it's every one of those moments, right? Here's where I need to go. Oh, I did this instead. That's the story over and over and over again. And it gets, it gets uh, tangled up. And, and laden emotionally, because the more we see ourselves not doing what we know we should do, the more we start to make it a story about our own personal failings, yeah. right? I mean, that adds more to it. That's one more voice pulling us away from doing what we know we need to do. But once they get clear, oh, here's what's happening. That wasn't actually me. I know what would serve me well here. I know what I would be proud of. I know what the right thing to do is. I, and I see what's happening. It just, it has this amazing power over them to, to all of a sudden get control of it. The story I tell in the book that brought me to it, I refer to it as my Wizard of Oz moment where I kind of saw how this happens. And that's, I think the Wizard of Oz thing works because it's kind of like that. You know, 
up until that moment, they're looking at the big green head and the flames and the loud voice, and they're totally uh, consumed with that perspective of the world. Here's the story of what's happening. There's this great and powerful thing that's got me on this track. And then once you see this little guy behind the curtain, you're like, oh, I see it now. Why did that ever have power over me? It's once you click. So the work that we do, um, there's just the, even the book is broken down into two parts. And it's a, you haven't seen it. It's a short book. You can read that book in two hours. There's some exercises to do, but it's a quick book. Part one is just giving them a really clear way to experience for themselves the reality of what we've been talking about. Here's what's happening. It's not really you. There's something else in there. And do this and so you can see it and do this so you can see it. Like, oh, I totally get it. And once it's real, you never forget it. You never yeah. go back. And it's then part two is just, okay, now that you see that, here are some specific techniques you can do to control at the moment and to sort of build the strength and the momentum going forward. So um, to your actual answer, how long does it really take? Does it, you know, it can take just a matter of days. Now, it, take, it takes a matter of days to break the spell. Sure. If I need to be stronger, you know, if I need to build muscle strength, if I need to build quickness and speed, that's still going to take the same amount of time of training and work with my coach. But the resistance I have to doing the work my coach is telling me goes away. The resistance I have to performing up to my potential during competition because of my, you know, fears and other things, that starts to go away. So the actual transitions at a practical level in our lives, those can take time. Yeah. But the but the breaking the spell of what's standing between you and staying focused, it's just it's almost instantaneous. I swear to God. I believe it. I believe it because I've experienced it, you know, like I, like I talked, I've experienced it as an athlete. I've experienced it in my personal life. I, you know, I think my wife and I are working on that right now in terms of our communication in our relationship setting. We, there's, there was this, you know, I just, I, I think about how many places this applies to our lives and it's, we, we take away the magic spell that is the great and powerful wizard of Oz. And we, and we peek behind the curtain. And we say, okay, if he can do it, we can all do this, you know? And that's, that's what we struggle with in, in the whole of our lives. And, and what I, what I, you know, it's a little bit academic, but what I try and perform with teams is this idea from Daniel Kahneman's thinking fast and slow. You have a, a faulty process at a subconscious level. It's an automatic thing, but it's faulty to fix that. We have to bring it into this conscious place. We have to come and slow way down. It's no longer automatic. It's probably frustrating and slower than you want it to be. But eventually it goes back into automatic fixed or closer to what you want it to be. And right. So we have to slow this process down, go from unconscious to conscious back to unconscious. And it's this constant sort of process of refining those faulty processes so that we can, we can keep tweaking and getting better, getting more from the things we're asking of ourselves, And, and that's an amazingly fulfilling process because like you said, Oh, I didn't even think about it. That athlete said it was, it became unconscious very, very quickly. My question in this 
is how much does discipline and character, like when I'm working with high schoolers, when I'm working with collegiate athletes, when I'm work, I see these types of athletes that make very quick change. And it's the types of athletes that have systems and discipline systems in place. And they just then apply these new skills to the system that they're already working in. What level of kind of, I'm thinking about program building, right? From a, from a big perspective, do we need to have more emphasis on developing athletes of character, athletes of, of high, of systemic, not systemic, but having systems in place that, that represent who they are from their values from the, cause I just think that's, that's a, that's a key picture in this that helps make it all go faster. Maybe 100%. I'm wrong. No, I think you're actually right. But a couple of things I might say. Um, one is my baseline assumption is people have stronger character than their behavior indicates. Yeah. A stronger vision for what's right and wrong. Um, again, not many people would look at a particular situation that we would think, um, you know, was making the wrong choice and going, no, that was exactly the right thing to do. Right, we are, we don't talk about it, but when we slip up, even a little bit, we feel bad about it, we feel guilty about it, but that adds to the load of us yeah. getting on the track. Um, in our work, we, um, at one point near the end, we have them actually put a system together of daily tracking uh, and they pick what things they track. And I actually have, they put a spreadsheet together. We give them a system. And we spend 28 days every day. You're going to mark what you worked on and what you didn't. And, and that's, that's the system that I've used for years and years and years. And it makes all the difference. But the point I was getting at was I don't tell them what to put on there. You know, I mean, at first I want them to work on the skills that they've just learned, but there's another column. What do you want to, what do you want to work on? And the most important column, which is kind of a surprise is what's one thing you'd like to do less of. Yeah. One thing that doesn't serve you well, you know, for me, I talk about it in the material. I have a couple of uh, addictions to uh, like checking the news all the time and drinking Coke zero. So, <laughs> and I, I go in and out of times when I'm on or off the wagon with those, but the reality is, I mean, it's easy to, to chuckle about them and I do too, but if I'm in a period where I'm just, you know, sometimes you just don't feel as sharp and that can be okay. Sometimes you don't need to be as sharp. But there's, you know, our life's kind of ebb and flow. I think it was in sports. I kind of think of it like on and off season. Yeah. You know, in the during the season, athletes train to another level of conditioning and diet and all that stuff. In the off season, they back off a bit, which is the right thing to do. But anyway, the the kind of this ebb and flow times. So if I'm in a period where I'm just thinking, ah, I'm just not really quite being the person I want to be. I'm a little testy. I'm a little short tempered. I'm a little, you know, uh, edgy. Well, I know how to fix it. I will put myself on a diet of not checking the news and not drink Coke every day because it's not really those things that are stressing me out. Yeah. But every time I do one of those things, when I know I don't want to, I know I don't actually feel better. I know it doesn't actually help me, but I do it anyway. It kind of weighs me down every, every part of my life. I'm less proud of myself. I'm less feeling You're strong. Less the person you want to be, right? It, exactly. You're, your actions paint a picture of who you are and the, the desired person of who you are. And so yeah. when your actions don't meet that value system, yeah. it, 
you know, I was, so March 15th, 2015, strange that I remember this date, but before that day, I probably had four Dr. Peppers a day, maybe more four to 11. I don't know. Let's just, let's just call it that. I was listening to a sermon on TV from Joel Osteen and whoever you, we can, we can have a conversation about that some other time. Right. But he was talking about being enslaved to your flesh. Right. And he's like, what thing do you have to carve out? Right. What thing do you have to remove from your flesh? And what he's talking about is that our identity doesn't align with our values. Right. All right. The actions that we're taking don't align with who we want to become. And I ask this question to teams and businesses all the time, not what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? And then start to act in such a way that the person you want to be the actions are in alignment with that. And so you're saying, I don't want to, you know, like news and Coke, they don't, they aren't the thing that causes me the issue, but they're a symptom of the thing that is causing the issue. I love this. I love this. Me not being the person I'm proud of. So again, the the, the whole point of that was to say, Oh, when I have these kids set up these tracking sheets, uh, I don't assign my values to them. I say, what represents that to you? What would you feel better about yourself if you weren't doing that every day? Put that on there, start tracking that. So now this tracking sheet becomes a measure of them being, just as you were saying, them being the person they want to be. What do I want to, what, if I'm doing these things on a regular basis, like going to the gym or whatever, getting to bed on time, I mean, they're little things, Yeah. but the little things make the difference. Huge. If I'm doing those on a regular basis and I'm avoiding this thing or two on a regular basis that will make you feel better about yourself and be a measurable improvement in your life and then just track them. Day in, day out. How did you do? It's it's really powerful. So I think to your question about developing a character and you know making that just be a kind of a top line thing. Yes, and I think there's there's good ways to do it and bad ways to do it. Yeah, um, no doubt. Starting from the assumption that again they have more character than they are modeling. Yeah. Right. They know what's right and wrong, and just just asking them where where could you be better. What, what, what's holding you back right now, you know, from feeling good about yourself and letting them say and track it themselves. It can, it's really transformational. I absolutely agree. I, you know, last, last episode, that was out Jake Thompson who works in our space. He, he kind of ended the podcast with this question. Have you reached your potential in that yet? You know, I, I just think like, have you reached your potential in the person you want to be? When you talk about th- this things, like we all do know, we know. And I think the one thing that we have to understand, and this is what I learned, you know, in 10 years in the classroom is that so much of what these young people do is about belonging, right? It's about fitting in. It's about having a place where they feel confident that they're going to be, be accepted. Right. And so we can get to those conversations much faster. If our baseline is you're accepted here, you're loved here, right? I, uh, another coach that's been on this podcast a few times, uh, John Peter up in Pelican Rapids, Minnesota soccer coach. He talks about just being Mr. Rogers, right? You're here. You have value. That's it. I don't care how good you are at our sport. I don't care. You showed up, you have value. You're valuable here. When we can communicate that to our athletes from day one, not even athletes to our charges, if we're a leader in a business setting, if we're you know, in our families, if you can just say you have value because you are here and you are a part of us because you're a person, right? You have innate value. 
you take away that need for belonging because you're giving it, you're providing that security from day one. And now we ask the question, do you think that was what you're supposed to do? People will say very clearly, no. Yeah. Yeah. You know, hundred percent. We, we draw out that great character that you're speaking to yeah. because they aren't looking, seeking, searching for a home. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the one thing I would add. Um, and you touched on this. We all know when we're not living up to our standards for ourselves more than anybody else, because they happen a thousand times a day yeah. and they don't happen externally a thousand times a day. It's all this internal stuff. So you can invite someone into your team and your organization and say, and do the Mr. Rogers thing and welcome them and honor them and respect them, but they're not going to believe it. Yeah. They're not going to believe they deserve that unless they believe it inside. So once you give them a, this whole mechanism, the, one of the most powerful psychological things of this mechanics-based approach is it totally depersonalizes all those failures. They're not marks against their character. They're just something, you just didn't hold the ball right. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. all of a sudden they can take that weight off themselves. They can start tracking these little things. You know what? I can do this. I do have control over this. That wasn't me all this time. And now they can believe in themselves at a level that opens them up to all those positive encouragements that you're offering them. But until they can break that uh, sense of themselves as being a failure for having been weak with this mental focus, it's an uphill battle. Does that make sense? Absolutely. What a tremendous gift you just gave to our coaches, right? You have to break down that barrier personally in some of these athletes to say, it's not you. It's just a mistake. It's not you. This isn't who you are. This has nothing to do with your person, your quality, your character. Have some grace with yourself because we're going to give you grace yeah. here. Like yeah. now, now the, the thing is different. Now the opportunity for growth is tremendous. And um, we get those breakthroughs that you're talking about. It, it's amazing to think about the the power in this and the simplicity of it. Like, I don't know. I just, I'm always drawn to like nature. I, grass grows with water and sun. That's it really, right? Water and heat, that's it. And it grows all the time, constantly. It's doing the work every single second of every single day if it has the things it needs. I think people can do that. We just put a lot of stuff in that are not water and heat, right? We put a ton of stuff into the equation, into the soil that are not those things. And so um, asking what you need to take out, really powerful, right? Really powerful opportunity to, to connect to what you need to do instead. It really is transformational. I see it exactly the same way. It even makes it a little bit hard to really communicate it clearly sometimes because yeah. of that exact tension. It's so simple. It's actually one of the things that makes it hard to see because we walk past it. Yeah. It's so self-evident once you look at it, but we don't look at it. And the, the, the ramifications, the ripples, this really is, so psycho psychology geeking for a second. Um, there are three fundamental success skills across all activities, you know, identified by psychologists, cognitive control, emotional self-regulation, 
impulse control. If you got, if you've got those things, if you can control your attention, keep it where you need it to be. If you can keep your emotions from taking over, if you can keep your physical impulses and appetites in check, you can stay on track and get wherever you want to go. And to the extent you can't do that, you're either not going to get there or it's going to be really, really hard. These are the fundamental building, building blocks of success. And when you break those things down, they are exactly the mechanics we're talking about. I mean, this one, the simple, simple thing of depersonalizing those distracting impulses and learning how to regulate them. Uh, one little side comment, you know, we're talking about these thoughts coming up and they pull you off track. Um, we talked about how sometimes it's negative thoughts and sometimes it's positive thoughts. There's nothing implied in any of that that's judgmental on those thoughts. It's, it's not bad to think thoughts. It's not necessarily bad to, you know, be reminded of things that you're feeling guilty about, right? You can, the, the, the judgment question is separate. The question for an athletic performance is when? When should I address this question? And who should decide when I do that? Do I get to decide? Now's not the time. I'm in the game right now, yeah. you know? Or does this other guy who's always ragging me with this stuff, do they get to decide? So normally they just say, hey, have you thought about this? Or remember what that person said to you? And you're like, oh my God, you're right. And you're there. So now they have controlled you. It's like you mentioned with Joel Osteen. Are you a slave to your, what was it? Slave flesh. to what? The flesh. flesh. Well, yeah. this is the, this is kind of the subcategories of flesh, you yeah. know, thoughts, emotions, body. Um, are, are they in charge of what you're thinking about when and when, or are you in charge? It's yeah. that simple. You learn the ability to do that. And one of the last things I wanted to say, as far as the, the power of it, um, one of my favorite stories I've heard several times now from, and these were, this is like a, the current example in my mind was 13 year old girls, young, you know, softball team, 13 year old girls, younger than I would have thought this would really work with. But they go through the course and the report you're getting back is beyond, you know, competition. It's like all of a sudden the parents of these children are having conversations about things they never talked about before. Yeah. I mentioned earlier, the big thing, it destigmatizes it. So they're not, they're not ashamed of these thoughts they're hearing, these feelings they're having more. They can just, they can just talk about stuff. They can open up. And the ramifications of that yeah. in their lives and their relationships and their family and their school, for, it's just, it blows my mind, really, that it all comes from such a tiny little seed yeah. of insight, you know? It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. The number of times I've heard that from coaches, the doors that this opens to have these conversations in a completely different context, it doesn't feel as weighty. It's much more open. We can have this conversation as a large group because many of the athletes are now addressing these things with themselves. I can admit to these things because it's destigmatized, it's depersonalized, right? It doesn't say anything about me as a person. It's a gift. It's a gift you're giving your program to be able to try and take it to a mechanics-based level and not just for performance, for relationships, for, for everything that you do. It reminds me in a lot of ways of stoicism, right? Being able to, to de, to defang in some ways, the emotions, yeah. To, to yeah. not, not little s stoicism in the cultural, like you don't show any emotion, but actual, the practice of stoicism, you mentioned that you have some relationship with Ryan holiday, who I yeah. mentioned frequently on this podcast, yeah. because those are places where we can learn yeah. what did the greats in antiquity do to manage yeah. these same sort of challenges that have been here from yeah. the beginning. And, Absolutely. and so, 
I, I, and, and, you know, I think that the people um, sort of some simplicity simplify stoicism in an in a incorrect way, which is to say, uh, I guess emotions are bad. I guess we shouldn't feel emotions. That's not the story at all yeah, of stoicism yeah. or of this work. Again, it's what I said a minute ago. It's not that emotions are bad. Emotions are hugely important and beneficial to us. Empathy is one of the foundations of a, a rich, you know, effective, successful life. It's just who gets to decide and when, yeah. you know, yeah. does the emotion uh, ever, how many times as a coach is someone's emotions getting away from them? The reason they're not performing well, right? It's just, yeah. it's, it's one of the main things that happens. So it's just a matter of being able to regulate them and say, to what level, keeping it in check, always your higher self, your best self, the one that really knows all these things we want to do, that person should be able to decide how you're being in any given moment. Is it always possible? Of course not. But to the, as much as you can, if you keep these other parts of ourselves from taking over, things are going to be a whole lot better and no you can doubt. easily learn to do it. Absolutely. And, and I just think Again, just to reiterate something you've said, and we can close here. If you can manage these skills, cognitive control, emotional self-regulation, impulse control, if you can manage your mental focus, your ability to work through and feel the emotion, but not let it overcome you, and then the impulses of your body, the desires of your appetites, whatever it might be, if you can control those things, you're going to be present and in the moment and finding your best performance. You're unlocking things that you, you know are in there. You just don't know how to get to them all the time. Well, well, those are the pieces, right? Those skills right there allow us to have access to them more consistently, more frequently, not perfectly, not all the time, like you just said, but much, much more often. David Levin, we are so grateful that you gave us such good juice today. Thank you for joining us. I cannot wait to bring this to our guests, to our audience. Thanks again. My pleasure. Thank you. A lot of takeaways, really great conversation for me personally to challenge me thinking about how do we get to a mechanical process, right? How do we teach the mechanics of the mental game? It's a, it's a hard thing to do because people want to make it bigger. We just, we do, we want to make it complex. It's not complex. It's simple. It's just not easy. I think one of the things that, that stood out to me is just that kind of what we ended with this idea, there's three or three kind of zones of stuff we need to pay attention to in life. We have that cognitive control. We have that capacity to, to emotionally regulate, right? And then to, to manage what our body is about. So we have thinking, feeling, action. Right? These three parts of performance are all tied together. And if we then zoom back out a little bit and go farther back into the conversation, we can hear this conversation about thinking and hearing thoughts are different things. Like Being able to understand the difference between what you're actually thinking, the cognitive control that you're experiencing, and then hearing thoughts that might trigger some emotional dysregulation is a really powerful tool. And I love how he talks about, we have to depersonalize that. We have to depersonalize some of these thoughts by, by actually thinking about them, thinking about how do we take action in this? Who am I going to let control the conversation right now? Is it that person over here, that depersonal me, right? Or is that 
or am I going to take control? Can I be in that cognitive control that he was talking about? And so can I regulate my emotions in this moment? Just really powerful tools that, you know, we work on in, in the business that I'm doing. And, and a lot of these people are, are trying to get better at this. The thing that he does, I think that's really cool. And it goes back to his career in music is tuning in to it, right? Slowing that process down and just going, here's how we attack, right? These are some, some actual mechanical tools that, that you can use to do that stuff. And, you know, ultimately it comes down to when you do that, you are more consistently the person you are proud of. Because we don't get caught up, we don't get lost in this mistake that I made, this error that I have, this failure says something about me. It's identity forming. No, it's just a thing that I did and it didn't go terribly well. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. That is hard for me. I, I open the show with a little conversation about my basement remodel, right? One of the things, because I'm not, this is not a skill area for me. This is not a talent. I am incredibly hard on myself when I make mistakes. And I, and I then assume, okay, you made a mistake. You are a bad person. You made a mistake. You have something wrong with you. And it comes back to this feeling that I don't feel confident or competent all the time in these areas. And I feel less than, especially when I make a mistake. And then it's just reinforcing that self-talk that I'm already hearing from outside of myself. I struggle with that depersonalization of the message. I'm going to guess a lot of us out there do as well. What can we do to take that approach, that get into the details of it, take it out of who we are? Where can we apply a mechanics-based approach to our mental, to our inner game? And how do we raise that inner game through some of these tools we have to start assessing we have to we have to do the small steps along the way to get there if you're curious about how to how that works reach out to me here at eyes of mindset reach out to david i raise your inner game right all that stuff's gonna be in the show notes thank you guys so much for joining us for for responding for giving feedback for subscribing rating reviewing all that stuff it means the world does join in the conversation grow us get better and as always live eyes up